Thank you, Ms. Cox, for that beautiful offertory. Thank you, choir, for the beautiful music, Brother David, for the music portion of the service where we indeed have lifted up our beautiful Savior. It is a joy and a thrill for Juan and I to be with you today. We have looked so forward to uh, these three Sundays that we're going to be able to have together. I appreciate the invitation of Brother Lynn and your staff and being able to come and share these moments with you. You as a church have always been close to our hearts. We live in the neighborhood right down the street on Brook Hill Drive. And so this church has always been very special to us. And we've always prayed for you, and we're praying for you now as you seek the new under-shepherd that the Lord Jesus has for you. Uh, you're a great church, a great fellowship in the Shelby Association, and we're so grateful to have you here as a lighthouse for the gospel in this part of Birmingham and Shelby County. Thank you for letting us come today. I've seen so many friends, so many people we've known through the years who are members of this church, others who are visiting. We're so grateful that you're here. And I pray that you will pray for us over these next three Sundays. I've been asked to bring a series of messages that would be a challenge to you, the members of this congregation, not just during a transition period, but from the rest of your lives. And so I pray that the three messages that we bring will truly be a blessing and an inspiration, but also a challenge to your heart and to your Christian life. They're coming in a sequence that I feel like is in the right biblical order. We start with a message on our Savior. Next Sunday, we'll look at a message about our salvation and then conclude with a message about our service to this wonderful Savior. So thank you for letting me come today. I'm glad to have Wanda with me. It's always a joy to have her with me. We're in a lot of churches in our association in the Birmingham Association, we have 135 churches and growing, and we have been had the privilege of being in all 135, and I'm telling you, that's been a tremendous milestone uh, for us. It took me four years, and I'm in my fifth year in this role. It took me that long to get around to all those churches, but I really did not feel like I could do my job if I did not know where our churches are located in our city the pastors of those churches and the struggles and all the challenges that they face in order to do a good job at the associational level. I, I'm so grateful for the associational director of your association, Hugh Richardson, is a dear, dear friend and has been a fellow pastor uh, when he was over at Forestdale Baptist Church when I was at Lakeside. And we've served together so many uh, committees and I'm grateful that he's your DOM here in Shelby County. Debbie Snyder is here on your associational staff, and I appreciate her and her husband and uh, their being a member here and uh, all that they do here in your association. Let's begin, if you would, turn with me in your Bible, because you know the clock watchers always start when the preacher gets up. <laughs> That's when the clock in the Baptist church starts running. We never think about it when the choir's singing, during special music, anything else. It's the moment the preacher gets up. It's when we clock him in. So I want to be sensitive to that as much as I possibly can without quenching the Holy Spirit. Okay? So let's look at the Bible at our text today as we think on the subject, the preeminence of Christ. The preeminence of Christ. In honor of God's word, would you stand with me as we read together Colossians chapter 1. And we'll begin reading at verse 9. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. The Apostle Paul, writing to the saints at Colossae, writes, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray with all my heart that you, our beautiful, blessed, redeeming Savior, would be uplifted and glorified in this service and in this message today. Have your will and your way in our hearts, and when it comes time for us to respond, Holy Spirit, have your way, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. When we come to the subject of the preeminence of Christ, we're standing on holy ground. We're standing on holy ground in the scriptures because there's a scripture that we didn't read, and I invite your attention to it, to Philippians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, shares with them and exalts them, or exalts Jesus Christ in their midst. It is one of the great Christological passages in all of Scripture. And the one we read today for our text is close to it. The Apostle Paul, writing in Philippians 2, said, in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, this is Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Therefore, God, his Father, has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow those things in heaven and those things on the earth and of those things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Christ, Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Oh, the preeminence of Christ. We're indeed on holy ground because God, through Scripture, is sharing with us the place he has reserved for his only begotten Son in all of his creation. 
And God, through Holy Scripture, has revealed to us his standing with the Father. He is one with the Father, one with the Holy Spirit. But he's the God that we can see. And we'll look at that in just a moment. There are three areas in which the Apostle Paul in this text talks about and lifts up the preeminence of Christ. First of all, he says that Christ is to be preeminent in the Christian life. Christ is to be the preeminent one in the Christian life. And then he talks about our conversion, how we came related to Jesus Christ, how you and I came into a faith relationship with the only begotten Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We enter the Christian life We enter the Christian experience through faith as we respond to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we come into a personal relationship with Him. And therefore, when you receive Christ as your Savior, when I receive Christ as my Savior, the Christian walk began for you and me. We began to walk with Christ. We began to fellowship with Him in His Word. We had the anointing and the filling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is our daily companion who walks with us, who leads and guides us into the truth of Holy Scripture. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is this. He will always lead you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will always lead you to Jesus or the words of Jesus. And so he gives witness and testimony to the second person of the Trinity, and that is Jesus Christ. So he is the preeminent one in the Christian life. How so? Paul says this is true because he's done three things. He's delivered us. He's delivered us from the kingdom of darkness, he says in verse 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness, and he has conveyed us into the kingdom of love and light. Picture our world today. And picture the place of the Christian in a secular society, in a secular world that literally has gone mad. Why? Why is there so much confusion and uncertainty and danger in our world today? Ladies and gentlemen, the scriptures tell us because it is still a world that is in darkness. It is a world in darkness. Those who do not know Christ are outside the kingdom of God and the only world they know is the world of today, a secular society, a secular world. That's all they know. They've never been saved. They've never been born again. They've never been brought into the kingdom of light. And that's what Paul is saying. They're still in the kingdom of darkness. Draw one great big circle with me and let that circle represent the kingdom of darkness. Who rules that kingdom of darkness? He says Satan does. Satan, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, is the God of this world. He is the God of darkness. And the dark things that happen, the sinful, terrible tragedies that happen in our world, such as the recent school shooting, How do you explain such things like that? It is absolutely diabolical. It is of the devil. It is of Satan. 
Only he could encourage someone with some type of mental disorder, no doubt. But nevertheless used to do a terrible, terrible thing in shooting those blessed little students and those teachers. That's the kind of world we're living in, in America and in the world today. It is a world lost in darkness. But the good news is, according to the Christian faith, God has redeemed and saved the Christian and has taken him out of the power and the world of darkness and transferred or translated him into his kingdom of love and light. Draw a second circle inside that larger circle. And that circle represents the kingdom of God. Does not our scripture teach us that we are brought out of the world to remain in the world, but not to be of the world. That identifies who the Christian is in secular society. He is one who's been born again. He's one who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. He is one who has been forgiven of his sins and his attitude towards sin and evil has changed because he's been brought out from under the power of Satan and darkness and brought into the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in the kingdom of love and light. And so the Christian is in this inner circle, though he's still in the world, to be an ambassador to the world, to preach the ministry of reconciliation to the rest of the world, that they too can be saved. And they can be saved and delivered from this dark world in which they're living and trying to make it, and trying to make the pieces fit together, and they can't understand why. It's because they don't have a shepherd to lead them. And they do not have a Savior to sustain them and help them find the wisdom of God in such matters. Oh, he is preeminent. He is the preeminent one in the Christian life because he is the one who has delivered us. He is the one who has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And he has redeemed us with his own blood, his own precious blood. Not the blood of goats and animals as we read about in the Old Testament that all pointed to Christ. But he's redeemed us when the Lamb of God came into the world, Jesus he came as that Lamb of God that God provided to be the redemptive Lamb that would save his people. And so the story of Jesus doesn't... When did Jesus come into existence? <laughs> That's a good theological question. When did Jesus come into existence? At Bethlehem? No. That's when he became a man. That's when he was born of flesh and blood. But you see, the Bible teaches he's already with the Father before the foundations of the world. Jesus has been here as long as God's been here because he's God. Jesus said, he hath seen me, hath seen the Father. So you see, he's old as God because he is God. But he came in a different way when he became man. And Paul says in that Philippian 2 passage, he came, and that's because he was willing to humble himself. God has highly exalted him in every aspect of his creation. 
The Father sees him as the preeminent one. And therefore, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. He is, if you're a born-again Christian, redeemed and sealed by the blood of Jesus until the day of our redemption when it's completed, when we die and go to heaven and receive our glorified bodies. Until that day, we belong to him and he belongs to us. And we listen and follow a different master. We have a shepherd whose voice we know because we're in a faith relationship with him. Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me because they listen to my voice. And though we're in this larger circle of a secular society in a kingdom of darkness, as Christians, we've been placed in an inner circle, the kingdom of God. Now, this second circle is not to be a complete circle. It's kind of to be an indented circle in order to convey the truth of the scriptures. Because if it's a solid circle, it means that we're, as Christians, isolated from the world and we have no contact with the world. And that's not what Jesus intended the church to do or the Christian. We must have relationship with those in the world because it's our job to win them to Christ. We're to be witnesses of him and his ambassadors. So as we live and move and go about in the bigger circle of the world, realizing though that we've been saved out of, delivered out of that power of darkness, we're now in the kingdom of God and we belong to Jesus. Our witness is still to the world, to those that have not yet experienced the grace of God through faith. And it's my responsibility as a Christian and your responsibility on a daily basis to be his ambassador in whatever arena he has placed you in, to use the influence, the stewardship of all the resources he's placed in your hand, to do what? To make sure you're representing the fact that Christ is still the preeminent one in your life and in my life. So yes, he's the preeminent one in the Christian life. Why Jesus? Because the Bible says he's the only Savior. He's the only one that died on a cross to save sinners. He's the only one that left the ivory palaces of glory and came to the misery of the world in human form to show us God and to show us the love of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. People have always wanted to see God. Moses wanted to see him on Mount Sinai and asked to see him. God told Moses, Moses, I can show you the hindsight of my glory, but if I were to reveal you the full Shekinah glory of God, it'd kill you on the spot. You couldn't stand it in a flesh and blood body. And I'll tell you what, when he only saw the hindsight, he had to put a veil on his face for 40 days. Can you imagine the undescribable joy it will be when you and I see Jesus for the first time in all of his glory? He, laid, he allowed some of his deity to shine through his humanity on the Mount of Temptation, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he allowed Peter, James, and John. You remember that experience? They wanted to see his glory. And so he allowed them to see the glistening garments of his glory. Not his full glory, but just a glimpse of his glory.
And ladies and gentlemen, we have glimpses of God's glory in the face and the life of his son, Jesus Christ. He is the invisible God that has become visible so we can see him and know him. And you see, that's how you and I know what the attributes of God are, that he's loving, that he's caring, that he's forgiving. How did we learn all of this about God? How did we know this about God? Because we've studied our scriptures that reveals Jesus Christ, who is God. And through the life of Jesus Christ, we learn the kind of God God is. Oh, yes, he's holy. He's righteous. He's a God of judgment. But he's also balanced with a God of love and mercy and forgiveness. And we know this because we study the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And we say how Jesus represented the Father when he was here in the flesh. That's why he came to set an example for us who would be his followers afterwards. So we would know how to live and know how to serve and know how to walk and know how to find peace in the midst of such a troubled, stressful world. Oh, he's preeminent in the Christian life. But not only is he preeminent in the Christian life, Paul says here in this text, he's preeminent in creation. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Three things very quickly. This text tells me he's the sovereign over creation because he's the image of the invisible God. He was with God before the foundations of the world. In the fullness of time when God was ready for man to see him in his glory through his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus came to Bethlehem and was born. And we've just celebrated that advent and that season of the year where he came to show us God to show us what God was like and is like. And so he is the expression of the invisible God. He's the sovereign over creation. It says he's the firstborn over all creation. That simply means he's been with God the Father before the foundations of the world. The very firstborn in God's creation is a peculiar way for Paul to put it, but Paul is trying to show the eternality of God, of Jesus Christ. Firstborn over all creation. He's always been here. Aren't you glad? And he'll always be here. He'll always be not only on his throne, but as a Christian, he will be on the throne of your life. And he will guide you and lead you. And I don't care what you face in this life. If you're a born-again believer, blood-bought, washed Christian, Jesus through the Holy Spirit will never leave you and never forsake you. And no matter what your need is in this life as a Christian, he's promised to meet it. And you claim those promises. And when those times come in your life, those challenging times, stand on the promises of God and look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the preeminent one in creation because he's sovereign over creation, but he's also the source of creation. Verse 16 says, all things were made by him and for him. Everything in creation was made by Jesus. He's the agent of creation. He not only made it, 
It's made for him because he's the heir of God. Now, we all know something about being an heir and an inheritance. And we're all looking forward to that. One of these days when maybe our parents or some other member of the family's inheritance may be passed on to us if we happen to be found in the will. (laughs) And so those are things that we know something about. Well, listen, Jesus is the heir to everything God has because he made it all. And so he's the heir. He is the only begotten son of God. What does that mean? In Scripture, it means there has never been one like him and there'll never be another one like him. He is unique all by himself. He is the begotten Son of God. The seed of God was planted in the womb of Mary and Jesus was divinely born because he is both God and man. And he's the God-man who stands between God and man as the mediator between the two. A mediator is one who stands between two opposing parties with the intent of bringing them together, bringing reconciliation. And so Jesus is that God-man. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. Don't ever let anybody tell you he's 50% God and 50% man. He's 100%. He's all God and he's all man. That's a mystery to us, but it's the truth. He's the God-man with the mission of bringing men to God through salvation. And so he's, pre- he's the source of creation. But lastly, he says in verse 17, he's the sustainer of creation. In him all things consist. I like to put it this way. He's the super glue that holds it all together. <clears throat> I read something that was absolutely phenomenal several years ago in a science magazine. And they were talking about the creation of the world and the universe and the solar systems and the planets and the stars out there. We don't know how many universes there are out there. It's really comical when puny little man gets his little microscope and he looks up into heaven and he tries to see everything through that little man-made scope. I wonder sometimes how God must feel. Now, I think he wants us, he's given us the wisdom to create such things. And we certainly have a a greater knowledge today than we've ever had about the stars in heaven. And God's allowed us to find all that, but he's beyond all of it. And he may show us one universe, and there may be 15 others behind it that our telescope won't reach. Oh, listen, he's an awesome God. He's a great, big God. God, don't make him little in your life. He's created everything, and he holds it together. When I was a little boy in church, we used to sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. Now, I remember our teacher used to put her little hands together, and she'd tell us, he's got the whole world in his hands. got the little bitty baby. got me and my brother and sister, mom and daddy. He's got the whole world in his hands. Well, he sure does. If you're a Christian, a child of God, he has you in your, his hands, and Jesus promised there is no power on earth or in hell that can pluck you out of his hand. His hand is in the Father's hand, Jesus said. 
that's pretty secure. And that's enough for me to know. I can live on that. Have lived on it. To know that I'm secure in my faith and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. He holds it all together. He's a sustainer. He's preeminent in creation. Lastly, he's preeminent in the church. Look at verse 18. This is shouting around here for those of us that serve the church. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he have, may have preeminence. On my darkest day as a pastor, and believe me, pastors and staff members have those dark days, lonely days, disappointing days, hurtful days, just like you as lay people, we experience the very same. We're men of clay, and we struggle, and we have issues in our lives as every man in this place does. When I was pastor at Lakeside, I told them constantly, don't you ever put me up on a pedestal and worship your pastor because I'm telling you there will come a time when I will disappoint you as your pastor because I'm a man of clay. But I am pointing you, and my ministry is all about appointing you to one who will never disappoint you. And his name is Jesus. And you'll disappoint me as your pastor sometimes in your walk with the Lord. I can... You know, I may be disappointed in some of my church members because the way they walk, the way they live, the way they act sometimes. We all know what that's about. But there's no disappointment in Jesus. And that's why we always, whether we have a pastor or not, that's not the issue. The issue is we have a Savior, and he's the head of the church. And we keep our eyes on him. Oh, we're thankful for our pastor and our staff. We ought to show appreciation and love. But one thing you never do with a staff member of pastors, worship them. Only Jesus is worthy of your worship. And never a man of clay. Except Jesus Christ, who at one time was clay. And so he's preeminent over the church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. I want to tell you something. In this secular society in which we live, that so many times when atheists have strongholds in high places and have influence even to members of Congress that pass laws on the rest of us, even in such the midst of that kind of darkness and that kind of society, and yes, I believe with all my heart the world, the world system, the world system and those who represent the world system are absolutely attacking the church and the Christian faith all over the world. But here's the promise of Jesus. Let them attack, let them come. They'll never prevail against my church. When they're dead and their bones are in their grave, my people, the church, will be triumphant. Triumphant. Because we belong to Jesus. And so there's the promise for the church. Love your church. Serve this church of Jesus Christ who's the head. Everything you can do to support its ministries. Every financial gift you can give. Everything that you can do to go to be an ambassador of Christ through the ministry of the local church. Do it because it pays eternal dividends. 
And you're not making a poor investment at all when you invest in the kingdom of God. He's preeminent in the church. He's the head of the church, but he's the hope of the church. I love that old hymn that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. I close asking two questions. Have you or are you building your life on sinking sand of this world or upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ? I can tell you this by the authority of God's word. If you build your house upon Jesus, when the storms of life come and they will come and batter your boat and attack your home and your family and find yourself in crisis, health issues, all kinds of crises we face in this world, financial crisis, marital crisis, everything. We Christians are not inoculated from trouble or from heartache or heartbreak. But here's the difference of us in the world. We have a Savior who is in the boat with us and he's promised never to leave us. And as we face the battles and the storms of life, we do not face them alone. We have Jesus and all the power of heaven and earth that was given to him, living within us through the Holy Spirit. And he will help and sustain us through the most difficult moments of our lives if we'll look to him and pray to him and cry out to him and call on him. Jesus, help me. And I guarantee you, when you call on his name, help is on the way. He is the preeminent one in the Christian life, in creation, and in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you building your life upon that rock of Jesus Christ? And secondly, and the most important, I guess, Ladies and gentlemen, be honest. Is Jesus Christ the preeminent one this morning in your life? Does Jesus mean more to you than anybody else? Are you more committed to Jesus than you are to anyone or anything else in this world? Is he your preeminent Savior? And Lord, it's when we put him in his rightful place that he helps us put everything else in place. And that is a truth we must learn. And though many of us may have been saved for a long time, we've made him Savior, but we've not allowed him to be Lord, preeminent in our walk every day I encourage you to look at your own life as I look at mine and if you can honestly say you know brother Mike I'm saved I know that I'm a Christian but I cannot honestly say that he really is this morning the real preeminent one in my life I put somebody else there maybe your husband, your wife, your children 
your grandchildren, your business. Something else is there besides Jesus. I won't tell you what will happen. If you'll remove in your mind, in your heart, whoever that person may be or that thing may be that's more important to you right now than Jesus and simply just move them aside. You still love them. You still want a wonderful relationship with them. Do anything in the world for them. But in your mind and in your heart, you're saying, as much as I love my wife, as much as I love my children, as much as I love my grandkids, as much as I love my mom and my daddy and my grandparents, I love Jesus more. And Jesus, I want you to be number one in my life. And I want my life to show it to others. Let's stand for prayer. Lord, I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit in this place. I thank you for the attentiveness of your people in this place. I thank you for the hunger for righteousness that I see on many faces. And you promise that we shall be filled as we hunger for righteousness, as we hunger to be more like you. Father, the invitation today for your people is simply that we surrender all to you. And that, Lord, we follow your will. And through an act of commitment on our part this morning in response to your mission, your message, to be simply offer this prayer, Lord, forgive me for not allowing you to be the preeminent one in my life as you are in all of creation. And my commitment to you this morning, Lord, is to put you in your rightful place in my life today and help me to keep you there and walk with you in fellowship day by day. This is the commitment I make. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.